Welcome to the Top Business Leaders Podcast. You'll learn how successful people just like you have grown their businesses, expanded their influence, and made money by writing a book. On each episode, you'll learn the inside secrets to help you create a book that can serve as a powerful marketing tool to skyrocket your business. I'm your host, Dan Janelle. I help thought leaders, business executives, and entrepreneurs write their books. To find out more and to download our show notes, go to topbusinessleaders.com. I'm delighted to welcome my good friend Susan Roan to our show today. Welcome. Well, thank you. And when we say good friend, I'm glad you left off the term old. We are friends of very long standing. Yes, uh, we certainly are. Yes, many years, but not as many years as your book has been out. Susan, your book has been a bestseller for how many years now? Well, it, it, I have to say we're celebrating this year the 30th anniversary of a book that I was told by 21 people who rejected it in New York, this isn't a book, but it would be a good magazine article. And well, the- ha, ha, ha. So here's, I guess, point one is, you know, take in what people say, but if it doesn't match what you think, get rid of it. Great. Susan, we didn't mention the title of the book. Why don't you tell us what the title of the oh, book is, the the what book. the book is about, and how it has helped launch your career? Yes. Well, my first book, I don't have children, so I call it my firstborn. My first book is called How to Work a Room. And interestingly enough, because it's also a presentation and a workshop and what we're doing now, I own the trademark for it. So if you hear anybody talking on that topic, please let me know. My lawyer and I would like to hear. But there's a point to this. When you have a topic and you think that's the book I want to write, be sure to get and register the domain name. That's really important. But How to Work a Room came about. Um, I was talking about networking because I'm known to be excellent at it. And one person said to me, I want you to speak at Meeting Planners International. We had a huge San Francisco chapter. She said, but Susan... It's mostly men, and the title networking won't work for them. What can you come up with that is more male? Well, I grew up in Chicago. Uh, How to work a room was a Chicago term. So was put on those cement shoes, but that's another story. (laughs) Um, But we had an event in San Francisco, and the microphone went out, and I was one of the sponsors. And you were supposed to have the microphone. I go, there's no microphone. What am I going to do? So I went around to everyone in the room and introduced myself and chatted with people. And an old political pal of mine came up to me and said, oh, my God, Susan Rowan, if you ever want to run for office, I want to be your campaign manager. Really? Why? You know how to do naturally what most people don't know, and I have to teach them. You know how to work a room. And Dan, when he said that, I go, that's the title of the talk that Ann wanted. And that's what we called it. And the rest is history. Um, It was really interesting. I'll I'll tell this one story. So the subtitle for the original hardback version was how to successfully manage the mingling. Because I think I love alliteration and it is mingling. That is what we do. Well, when I was on a radio show in Toronto, I think the host could read, but he probably read quickly. And he introduced me as the author of 
How to Work a Room, A Guide to Successfully Mangling the Mingling. <laughs> well, fortunately, you have not been misquoted in other places, including the New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, CNN, the Wall Street Journal, to name a few. So uh, your media credentials are are impeccable from that inauspicious beginning. You know, I'm curious. A lot of my clients come to me and they say, I don't know what to write about or I don't think I have enough material for a book. And someone pretty much told you the same thing. They said it was a magazine article, not a book. How do you respond to that? How long was your book? And obviously there was enough meat in it. How did you overcome those issues? Well, first of all... um some of the articles that I've read in some magazines could be a book, but that's number that was their I think their default we can't we don't want to publish a book. The best letter I got was to my agent, and I have still have a copy of it. Um, well, this is a magazine article. However, I'm going to an event tonight and I'm using some of her ideas, and I couldn't help but think, you schmo. You are using the ideas and you don't see the value of it as a book. But I, the first book had 200 pages. I was, in, I was really very uh, prominent in that I did work with a publisher, but I made sure that the print was big enough because all these tiny print things, that's, that makes it difficult to read. I, I'm a former teacher where reading and language arts was my specialty. So I was able to bring in what I knew from the language arts and reading. That people also need white space. And they, there needs to be letting space. So I guess it's like the old things we did in grammar school and you had to write two pages on a subject and you like wrote in the biggest print possible. <laughs> but, it, but back then, I mean, it was really very, um, I think there was a little of my sense of humor, but it was very specific. In the second version, there was more because the times had changed. By the time we did the 25th anniversary edition, it's 300 pages. There's more out there. There's more what to do, different situations, what's online, and what not to do. So, the, but that first book, you know, here's another thing. If you think you don't have enough, remember, we're talking to the attention deficit disorder generation. I say that with much love. Nobody has the time to read a doorstop, which is what we call books that are over like 350 pages. So don't worry about it. And by the way, here's another one. I bought a book because I saw the gentleman on Fareed Zakaria's GPS. It's called On Tyranny by a Professor. It is a small, tiny book of great impact. Don't worry that your book isn't big enough. It's If it has an idea and you write it well, and it conveys something important to the reader, it's as big as it needs to be. That's so true. I'm seeing a lot more smaller books these days exactly because people don't have long attention spans thanks to, of course, the Internet. And if you look at books that have sold literally 20 million copies like Who Moved My Cheese or The One Minute Manager, those books have less than 10,000 words. So it, it could be very easy for an executive to write a book that has impact that doesn't have to be long. Susan, how has the book actually helped your career? Oh, let's just put it this way. It is my career. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, more. and I say that a little tongue in cheek. 
the truth is I was speaking before I wrote the book and my business is speaking. I was speaking before I wrote the book, but I also came to it having designed, coordinated, and written for the San Francisco Examiner Career Series when it was a Hearst paper, a viable paper. So I'd already been writing. Um, so that book, published in the November of 1988, that book was one of the only, not the only, but one of the only that talked about this kind of social business interaction. And I was number one on Book of the Month Club. And the how it got to be number one on Book of the Month Club, everything has a backstory. My publisher didn't get me into Book of the Month Club. My friend Debbie did. I went to her wedding. Um, I went over there for dinner when they first got married. My hardback had just come out and I was holding it under in my left hand, like that's what all good mommies do. And her husband tried to pry my book from my arm and heck, almost didn't let him. And he said, Susan, would this be helpful? You remember my brother-in-law who was like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he was wearing a cast. Yeah. He's the CEO of Book of the Month Club. <laughs> you know, folks, we always think we have to kiss up to the influencers. We have to only hang out with the people we know with the right titles. I'm going to say this is part of my marketing for my book and my life and my speaking business. I want our audience to know the most important marketing phrase is, you never know. <laughs> That's so true. Other people on my podcast have told me of randomly sitting next to someone in, on an airplane who was in a position to help them or knew someone who could introduce them to someone else who literally made their career. So, so the book came out. What did that do to your speaking fees? What did that do to uh, uh, the level of engagement you had with meeting planners? Did they immediately jump up and say, you wrote the book, I'm going to hire you, I'm going to pay you more money? Well, back in the day, I was invited to speak to ASAE, the Association of Society Executives, who were known for never paying speakers but promising great exposure. <laughs> but after she saw me on the cover of USA Today's Lifestyle section, the next day in the Wall Street Journal, the next week in the New York Times, I did something I so rarely do because I'm a lousy negotiator. I said nothing. I must have been like, you know, counting sheep in my head when she said to me, well, we usually uh, offer exposure, but given where I've been seeing you, here's what we can pay you. And it doubled my fee. But Dan, I'm going to say this. This is like telling the truth. I did not have a network of people who had achieved what I achieved. I didn't know the, quote, powerful speaker bureau people where I would have a network that I could call up Washington or National or whatever and say to someone, can you give me an idea? If I would then know what I know now, I would have quintupled my fee <laughs> because I was all over the newspapers, the media. I mean, magazines picked me up. Newspapers picked me up. I was on radio. So the truth is I'm still riding that tide, but I didn't, um, I didn't charge as much as I should have. But here's what happened when you dealt with speakers bureaus, they decided to categorize me under networking when really that's, 
the follow-up to How to Work a Room. And How to Work a Room is a very enchanting title. So, I, you know, if I had to do it over again, I would love to have been in the middle of the internet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram age. But I had traditional media behind me, which was TV, radio, newspapers. And that really, I was on a lot of different cities, including San Francisco, um, bestseller lists. Legitimate. And when I say legitimate, I have a great deal of um, prejudice about so many of these lists that you can make on a Tuesday at 11 a.m. if you have a hangnail. You know, some of that's just poppycock. But these were legitimate um, bookstores. Someone asked me if I made New York Times, and I was told if I had a different publisher, I would have. But I also said, believe me, back in the day, it was a secret as to what bookstores were counted for New York Times bestseller list. I said, hey, I'm from Chicago. If I would have known that I could get the list, I would have paid for it. You know, it's kind of in my DNA. But I didn't have that, unlike some people who did, who um, their books made New York Times because they did a little bit of um, happy shuffling. But to put this out, and I want all your listeners to know, is that book created a career but it also created not just my speaking business, which, you know, I do get a nice fee. I'm still one of the most affordable speakers, but I come from public school teaching. So when people say, oh, this is a tough audience, I go, really? I taught in Chicago. Anybody in the Egyptian Cobras? No. Anyone carrying a machete? No. I go, huh, they did that. At re- I had a kid bring a Saturday night special to class and I took it away from him in sixth grade. And the vice principal said, do you know what you just took from him? I had no idea. Look like a mousetrap. So really, there are so many stories about it. But the bottom line is, if you have something to say, and you're not sure what it is, listen to what people tell you that they find valuable in what you're saying, what you did that meant something to them. And start writing it down so that you remember they said it. Excellent advice. And it sounds like in the beginning of your career, you got a lot of business because people saw your name in the newspapers. Uh, what are you, or did you do anything proactively with your book to get business, whether it be speaking or consulting or anything else that you do? Well, one of the things that I did, well, this is with the columns, is that a lot of people had newsletters back in the day. And I'm like, you know, I, thank goodness I'm a little bit of the... Chicago skeptic, but I said to people, really, a newsletter that you're going to charge them for? When I have a byline in a major American newspaper, so what we did is we took my columns, because that's called third-party endorsement. So it's not just Susan sending you a newsletter, it's the San Francisco Examiner. Or if I was quoted in a major magazine, I I spent the money to have it set up and we sent it to our bureaus. We sent it to former clients. We sent it to people that made inquiries. Um, That's back back in the day where we actually went to the post office and bought stamps. Would you think that those tactics work today? And what are you doing today to market yourself with your book? I do a lot of social media and I, um, I have done something that I would like to recommend to people, which is, um, get in touch with people, follow on social media. So when you see someone that says something and that they have a podcast, let them know you'd like to be on their podcast. You have something to say. You have a backstory. You've 
um, had interesting experiences. And in fact, I'm going to do a podcast, record one next week, just because they did that because of something on LinkedIn. So I try to pay attention. Um, I am active on Twitter. Oh my God, I'm addicted to Twitter. But do you know that when I was at Twitter for 10 years, I got a happy anniversary tweet from them? How many people can say their best anniversary was with Twitter? <laughs> but but I, I'd say you have to be active in social media. But you know what I did? You, you just reminded me. When my book came out, I had a letter sent where I asked all the people, and I, I would say, now we'd say in our network, but I would say I went back to my grammar school, my camp, my element, my, uh, we didn't have middle school. We had high school, college, neighbors, you name it. I went to all my friends and I sent out letters saying, I really need your help. My publisher doesn't have the marketing that it needs. I need you to go into bookstores and ask for my book and help me create the groundswell. I still have a copy of that letter. And I'll never forget my high school friend lived in Miami, reported back. Thank you. I got your book in three stores. I went, oh, my God, thank you. You're wonderful. She said, but didn't you ask me to do that? <laughs> so I think now we can do a lot of that requests and asking people. I am not a big fan of uh, help me on my launch day. I'll give free stuff that you never even wanted. You know, I think a lot of that has gotten, um, well, I don't know, uh, out of hand. But you can get on radio shows. You can. You know, there are people that hire PR firms. that. But I would say if when you have a book out, do not go to a PR firm. They are a PR firm. You hire a legitimate book publicist because they already have relations with the radio and the podcasts that actually help sell books. But the writing of the book, you have Dan's. If, you, if you're not as sure of writing it, you can talk the first draft out, have it transcribed, and work with Dan on making sure it actually works in the book and how it's organized. But if you have a book in you, get it out. Well, thank you for that endorsement. I appreciate that. Uh, one or two final questions as we wrap up. Your book has been out for 30 years. You've revised yeah. it several times. A lot of my clients wonder, what do I put into a book? What do I leave out of a book? You said your book started as a very thin book with uh, wide margins and large type, and now it's 300 pages and it's reached its max. How do you decide what to put in and what to leave out? Well, every edition that, because this is the fourth edition, um, I leave out people that are dead to me and dead. I, if, oh, let's see. I quoted you and you did this. Eh, you're out of the book. <laughs> but, but I also add in because things are new. Like this last ver version, did I say that word wrong? Version has a chapter on the social media melange, new rooms to work. So I also had to give it a little, um, I don't know, disclaimer that by the time you read this book, some of these will no longer exist and there'll be new ones along the way because the social media changes. You know, Vine was the hottest thing. Now Vine is gone. Um, Instagram is big. Um, you know, Friendster is gone. So 
you, with social media, you have to make sure that you don't outdate your book before it even gets published. But I put in things that are things that people want to know. And that's the difference, Dan. I, people ask me how I did this. I was speaking and I listened to the questions people asked. And if you write a book that answers people's questions of what they want to know, not what you think that you're an expert on, because, they, you know, they couldn't care less. What people want to know is something they will buy. And people want to know, how do I walk into this room full of people? I don't know. Well, that, I'm writing that one down. <laughs> You'll see that in the show notes. and. Uh, <laughs> And everyone, you will be able to see the show notes on the topbusinessleaders.com website, along with information about how to get in touch with Susan and all that Susan offers. Susan, why don't you tell us a little bit more about uh, what, what services you perform, who you do them for, who your typical client is, and how people can get in touch with you? Well, first of all, I am, and this has been my business it's called the Rowan Group, and it's really Susan Rowan. And this is what I did, and I'm just going to give it a hint. Unbeknownst to me, I liked my name, so I made sure that my name was the point, and now it's called branding. Oh, how lovely they have a word that matched what I did 20 years before the word stopped applying to cows. So <laughs> um, branding, my name. Um, I also made sure that I initially got the domain name for my book. And sometimes there are a couple books I haven't written yet that I thought of, and I just put the money into keeping the domain names. So I am a speaker. I speak to universities. I speak to corporations. I speak to conventions. Um, I've spoken to audiences as large as 3,000. I've spoken to 30. Um, there isn't a group that doesn't really want to better know how can I mix, mingle, be prepared, not be daunted when I walk into a room full of strangers or even a room full of people I know. I had one guy say, I'm fine with strangers. He goes, but I get nervous when I have to walk into family reunions. I go, well, you must know my family. Um, but, and I hope you can all see that what I do is I take what I do seriously, but I will never not make side comments. Because what you want to do is connect with people at a deeper level. And I find that that does that. Um, you can get in touch with me several ways. You can, of course, email me, Susan at Susan Rowan, and that's R-O-A-N-E dot com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm an absolute riot. And um, I tweet about three to four times a day. And that's at Susan Rowan, S-U-S-A-N. R-O-A-N-E, or at How to Work a Room. But if you want to hire me to come to your company, to your association, speak at your conference as a keynote speaker, we're going to do the Edith Rush method, 415-461-3915. It is a phone, and I answer it. Now, I called it the Edith Rush method because she was the fourth grade teacher who taught next door to me. And she said to her students, if you're having trouble with the homework, please don't aggravate your parents. Call me. And she gave her phone number. Can you imagine? 
what a relief that was for those families that that teacher was willing to be open. So I learned that from her. So if you have something, and if you have a burning question and something's really giving you a problem about the how to work room or you can call me. If you want to uh, write a book, call Dan. <laughs> Thank you very much, Susan. This has been a lot of great information and a lot of great fun as well. Thanks. Thank you, Dan. Always when we're together, it's fun. Thanks for listening to Top Business Leaders, the only podcast that shows you exactly how people just like you have built their businesses by writing a book. If you'd like to write your book but don't know where to start, you can find great information at writeyourbookinaflash.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week with another insightful interview to help you become a top business leader.